What's up, NBA fans? NBA All-Star Weekend has come and passed, and the city of Chicago uh, shined bright for the All-Star Game and the All-Star Weekend. Except for the Chicago Bulls, the team is still below 20 wins, but we'll get into that. And we'll also review the biggest takeaways of this All-Star Game, including the Kobe Tributes, uh, the winners of the dunk contest, the three-point contest, the huge success of the All-Star Game. I guess it's almost safe to say that the All-Star Game is back as well as Reggie Jackson getting his way out of Detroit and signing up for the most deepest team in the NBA with the LA Clippers we'll talk about that and also as we head past the all-star game we'll talk about some of the teams we got to keep our close eye on as they look um, to, to steal their ways into the into the NBA playoffs uh, we'll we'll break those down but but first Sean the NBA all-star weekend this was probably one of the best all-star weekends i've seen in a very long time i can't think of another one that really impressed me other than like one of the first ones that i saw as a kid just because i thought it was it was just one of those first experiences that i got to see on tv i am I, I still remember those the ones in la and philadelphia when kobe got his all-star mvp but i mean i think that's what that was more from like a child perspective uh but now as like you know, a longtime NBA fan. I got to say, in recent memory, this was probably one of the best ones. Uh, the dunk contest, easily the best dunk contest I've seen in recent memory. Three-point contest was uh, exciting. And the All-Star game, of course, was the best All-Star game, I think, in a very long time as well. Yeah, and I'm going to take it even a step further. I think this is the best All-Star weekend that has happened in my entire lifetime. <clears throat> Like, all, yeah. all across the board. I mean, there's obviously iconic moments you can take from other All-Star games in the past, the dunk contests of the past, Vince Carter obviously being a big one, Nate Robinson, mm-hmm. um, some All-Star games like you're mentioning with, with Kobe winning his All-Star MVP. But I think all around, I don't think there was a more complete experience um, from an All-Star weekend quite like this one. Um, obviously bringing the Kobe Bryant tributes into it as well, giving it that extra layer of meaning, I think really mm-hmm. just tied it all together and made it just like this wonderful celebration of all things basketball. And I think I think it could not have gone better except for that horrible national anthem <laughs> by Shaka Khan. Oh, what's going on with the national anthem that just cannot... I, I mean, I feel like if there's one thing you can you probably shouldn't mess around with it's just the national yeah, just anthem don't don't try to be different with it it just doesn't work like did fergie not teach us all that like did <laughs> did fergie not do enough to show us that this is not a good idea but man she just butchered it it was I mean, oh man she hit notes i didn't even know existed yeah exactly i think it's just we're also programmed to react to it a certain way and hear it a certain way and i mean the national anthem is actually I think it's pretty good. I mean, despite, you know, regardless of what it is, even a standalone, it's pretty good. So I don't know why I mess around with it, but I am glad though that the NBA did have the courage to do things way different than anything, you know, I thought the NBA would be willing to do in terms of really experiment here with the changes that they did for the all-star game. And I feel like it was, it was just only a week ago we were talking about it. And I had a hard time following what exactly the change was um, and mm-hmm. what that was going to mean and look like in real life. And and there it was. And once I was watching it, it, it made sense. 
it was good. It was exciting, and now oh, I can't wait to see it again next year. Oh yeah, I think the players loved it too. Like everyone was mm-hmm. into it. Uh, if we want to just jump to that right now, I'm, I'm totally down to do that. I think that the fourth quarter. I mean, granted, so I think for the through the first two quarters, it was no different than any other All Star game, except for that mm-hmm. Giannis was playing way harder than everybody else. That's what it yeah. seemed like. Except, I mean, Kawhi Leonard had some crazy three-pointers, but Giannis was all over the four on offense and defense. I think he put up like 20 points in the second quarter. Um, the third quarter was interesting in that it had um, intentional fouling at the end of it because the score was close and they wanted to win the quarter and it ended up in a tie, which is really cool. But then that fourth mm. quarter was when it all came together. And I think in total, yeah. um, I think I saw that it lasted about a little over 15 minutes. With no commercial wow. breaks, with like no <laughs> substitutions, except for I think for the first couple minutes of the fourth quarter, they were playing the reserves, but then they brought the starters in from both teams, um, but still kept on Lowry on, on Giannis's side and Chris Paul on LeBron's side, and they just duked it out for the rest yeah. of for the rest of the game, and it was amazing. It was epic. It was everything we want to see from an all-star game. Just seeing the best players in the world go ham on each other in the greatest pickup basketball game you could even imagine. Right. We saw all the MVP candidates there. Giannis, Harden, LeBron, uh, just through all of these guys just going at it. And I was stunned to see. I was stunned at first, but then once I saw it get going, I was not surprised. And that was Chris Paul in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Man, that dude was – he's a dog. Chris yeah, Paul is dude. a bull dog. I mean, they're all dogs, man. Like, you had <laughs> Kyle Lowry taking charges on LeBron. Yeah. You had Joel Embiid posting guys up. You had Giannis blocking shots. Kawhi Leonard just mm-hmm. snatched the ball out of Embiid's hands at one point. Like, this is everything you want to see from this game. Like, it's it was perfect. Exactly. So I guess the question here is, was this all-star game as intense as it was as a result of the format? Or do we credit Giannis with that block on LeBron to kind of set things up back in the third quarter? I mean, is it the Kobe tributes? Uh, Do you think there's any sole one reason why this was so much better than ever before? I do think the format does get most of the credit. But I do like your point there that, like, maybe they were playing really hard to honor Kobe, you know? Like, yeah. the, the fact that, like, they named the Kobe Bryant MVP award, you know, they named it after him. I think that was a really cool tribute to him. And I do think it that a lot of the players felt like, oh, like, this is the first ever Kobe Bryant award. I want that award. Uh, yeah. Especially Kawhi, especially Giannis. Um, and even like Rudy Gobert was, had a 2010 game in the All Star game. Yeah. Like <laughs> there was like guys were playing hard, and it was really cool to see. Um, but I do think the format just lends itself to a more competitive game because, mm-hmm. uh, well, for one, the chair having it be for charity, I think makes it that's a big part of the format. Um, you're playing for more than just yourself, um, and right. it encourages you to play defense and not just try to outscore the other team. So you have to play both sides of it, especially if your team LeBron going into that quarter being down nine overall. Like, you have to play mm-hmm. both sides really hard, because and you can't foul, because then they just get free points. So I, I, yeah, thought, I thought exactly. it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, the format definitely called on for that harder intensity. I mean, in the fourth quarter, there was 21 fouls. 
That would be the eighth most in any quarter of this year. Wow. I mean, before, I don't think you'd get more than three fouls in the fourth quarter. And even those would probably be just to intentional fouls in some way. But I think, yes, you're, I think that's, that's got to give it some credit. The format, mm-hmm. uh, the, pe- the point score at the, the point score, the final, whoever had the highest score at the end of the quarter gets the money for the charity. And also you had all the kids right there I know, on court yeah. side with you <laughs> cheering on as you won the quarter for them or as you were down or as you were up, um, essentially cheering on for, to get their, their credit for their charity. Um, and I mean, further down into the game, you know, you get to the end there and uh, Anthony Davis has that chance to end it at the free throw line. He misses that free throw, quote unquote, on purpose yeah, sure. and makes that second one. <laughs> and there was questions around that, whether or not this uh, new format should allow for games to end at the free throw line. What do you think, Sean? I mean, from my perspective, I think, you know what? The game of basketball is what it is. And I, I don't think you should uh, mess with it too much. I mean, free throws are just, they're part of the game. Right. Yeah. I thought about that too. And I was like, man, it's like not as epic if it ends on a free throw. But hey, just don't foul them then if you don't want it to end on a free throw, you know? Like, it was a legitimate mm-hmm. foul. Like, what are you right. going to do about it, you know? Like, I don't I don't think that that should be um, something they change to the rules. Um, the thing I do think they should change to the rules is how the charity money is given out. Um, it just... What was annoying to me when I was watching it, like in the post game, they're doing all the celebration and stuff, was that the team Giannis kids were disappointed that they only won a hundred thousand dollars for their for their for them basically for those kids mm-hmm. because the other team got four hundred thousand dollars, and it's like you both got a six figure charity donation, but once what like, these kids are pouting because of that and i just think that was just not that was just not okay you know it's like i'm not trying to rag on the kids for like not being appreciative but i don't think that the format should lend itself to one team being disappointed at the end of it like everyone should be happy so like i don't know making make it more even between the charities or like i don't know it's just i think that part of it needs to be thought about a little more I mean, there's got to be a winner and a loser, I guess. And at yeah, the end, everybody but, gets money. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, maybe the discrepancy isn't as much, you know? Like, because, I don't mm. know, because the kids don't appreciate a six-figure donation if it's not as much as the six-figure donation that the other team's getting, so. That's true. Now, they should just fire their GM being Yeah, Giannis should, Giannis. Yeah, should have <laughs> drafted Kawhi. He had the chance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because when you watch this team... It seemed like clear that Le- Team LeBron was a better team. Right. I mean, to me, uh, and yeah, sure. I mean, sure, that could go back to the selection. Yeah, but I guess that's a good point, and I'm not really sure how you fix that other than just giving both teams an equal amount and just saying yeah. that this is for fun at the end of the day. Or you just like uh, somehow figure out a different way to reward that team to get closer yeah. to that final win number that the other team got. Yeah, or just make it that so that like – no matter what happens at the end of it, like one team gets 300,000 and the other gets 200,000, you know, like still mm-hmm. make it pretty even. And the thing is like, I knew this would happen afterwards. Like the losing team was going to end up giving <laughs> money out of their own pocket to make up the difference. And that's exactly, yeah. exactly what team Yas did. They donated another hundred thousand out of their own pocket 
uh, like to the charity that they had picked. So it's like, uh, it's just, it's, it's so disheartening to see kids be disappointed when they just got a hundred thousand dollars to help like (laughs) from the NBA to help them, you know, I don't know. Just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I see. That is something to think about. Um, but how about this also just at that free throw line when Anthony Davis was there, um, he missed the first one. Yeah. Makes the second one game over. Then later in the post game, he claims to have missed that free throw on purpose to increase the pressure <laughs> and the intensity of the game. You know, are we buying no. this? <laughs> <laughs> he totally missed that free throw, dude. Like that was, so? that was not a, like you, you'd have to try, I think to miss a free throw and like you wouldn't want to chance it you know because it, it wasn't a bad free throw it would hit the back of the rim like i think that was a legitimate miss that's true when you put it that way like yeah if you were gonna miss why miss it that right. way like hit it, it off it the backboard so off the side you know like it was straight on yeah, yeah. Exactly. He, i think he's just joking around when he said that <laughs> i guess yeah I'm not sure what I think here. Part of me says he did miss it on purpose just to make the game more fun. Because if you rewind back, James Harden also didn't go for a wide open layup. Right. That's true. I remember that. Yeah. Like he had a wide open lane and he passed it out. And I thought that was pretty weird. Yeah. And and he hasn't commented on that at all. I was looking for (laughs) something from him. But I couldn't find anything. So I almost wonder if somehow this team was conspiring to somehow um, bring this... Uh, somehow make make the ending super like, epic yeah. and they just didn't quite get there <laughs> yeah. so they got to the free throw line and figured maybe just missed the first <laughs> one and put more pressure on the on the second one yeah i don't know yeah maybe i i could see that being the case but i don't know it didn't look like that bad of a miss to me mm-hmm. but i don't know we'll yeah. never know for sure Exactly. Another big takeaways from me from that all-star game was the 27 intro rhymes that Common made <laughs> for every single player and coach. Yeah. Uh, before And before that, he went through the whole uh, spoken poetry, which I thought was kind of silly at when it first started. And then I got more into it. And by the end of it, I was like, holy crap, this is this was epic. This was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he had an entire set like for like that was like 10 minutes long. Like, he just kept going and going. We were watching, like, man, he's still talking? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the other takeaway is Kawhi Leonard being the first Kobe MVP winner, going off for 30.7 rebounds and four assists in that game, um, in the All-Star game. I was very surprised that he didn't end up with a three-point record. Like, he he had seven in the first half. I was like, oh, he only needs two more to tie the record. And he only ended up getting Mm -hmm. one more the rest of the game, but... I mean, he he earned it, man. That was uh, to play like that in All Star game. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. I, Kawhi is such an interesting guy. Like the inside the NBA interview he did after, he was just so robotic and, <laughs> and just so. Oh, yeah, I mean that's just his normal interview, though, dude. Yeah, but I mean, kudos to the dude. He showed up and walked away with the first Kobe Bryant All Star MVP award. Um, other highlights from the from the from the weekend, and I think we gotta get into this one is the dunk contest. Sean mm. is Derek Jones Jr. versus Aaron Gordon, um, and Dwight Howard was also in there. Pat Cunnington also as well. But I mean, it really came. It was really all about Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
just a couple of sequences where it was straight fifties for both of them from the judges. <laughs> and this one got controversial. I don't really see the controversy behind it. I think it was the best dunk contest I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I think Derek Jones Jr. had the better dunks over Aaron Gordon. Not to say Aaron Gordon's dunks were not good, but I just like Derek Jones's uh, between the leg sequences that he threw up a lot more than uh, what Aaron Gordon put together. Yeah, so I'll say Derek Jones Jr. had some really good dunks, um, but they were all kind of similar. Cause like you said, they're all like, yeah. like, un, like, uh, between the legs, you know, like, I, but that's so hard to it, do. I know it's hard to do, but like, if you do it every time, then it loses its value. You know, like Aaron Gordon's yeah. dunks were all different. And that's what I appreciated about them. I think Aaron Gordon had the two best dunks of the night. The one over taco obviously should have been a 50. Um, I, I do you, do you not agree with that though? I don't think you don't so. Because so? he didn't clear them. Oh, he didn't clear oh, them. They never actually yeah. clear them in those dunks. You know that. Oh, I, I, I don't think it's a 50. And, it, and it's I, Taco. It's Taco, man. Everyone loves Taco. I will say Aaron Gordon had a, a hell of a more sh- bigger showmanship. But I still think Derek Jones's dunks were w- better. And he did them all on first try. Okay, yeah, first try is good. But, like, okay, what about the dunk, though, that Aaron Gordon did where it was off the side of the backboard, he caught it with one hand, 360 windmill. That was good. One-handed. No, that was that, really good. That was, I think, even more than the taco one. That was my favorite dunk of the entire night. See, I think that one was agree- – I agree with that. That one should have been a tied with Derek. And it was, and they went on to the next round. Mm-hmm. However, I don't even know if it should have gotten to that point. Like, yeah. I almost mm. feel like Derek Jones Jr. had won it Interesting. The, previous, the previous round. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, I still see Derek Jones Jr. as the better dunker from this dunk contest. But I think it does raise an interesting point on in how this thing works, though, because – if you give somebody a 50 who goes out second and the third person outdoes them, right? It just it puts you in such a weird spot where there's no way to make that third person the ultimate winner. Right. I think so I you, think you need to be hard these judges need to be a lot harsher. Is that kind of where you're going with it? I think they just need to set some sort of criteria or they just need to realize that there is like a a relative and recency bias mm-hmm. that happens. So it's like you gotta just hold out on giving a fifty. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think they give out way too many fifties in the dunk mm-hmm. contest. Like, I think a lot of dunks that they give tens should be like eights. You know, exactly. Like, like we can like fifty should be the like a game like basically a dunk contest winning dunk. You know, mm-hmm. but on anything below that should just be given like sevens and eights. And then if it's not a very good dunk, you give it a five even. Like, I, I don't know. I, th- I think if they were harsher, it would make it more entertaining too. Right, because it seems like the judges are quick to give a 50 to the first dunk that impresses yeah, them. Yeah, so it's all hype. It almost, feels, yeah, it almost feels like you have an advantage if you go first or second in the dunk contest. Mm-hmm. And if you're going last, you're almost at that disadvantage because there's – because now you now it's relative to what the other people did, right? Um, and if you have something that's a lot better, there's no way you can score higher because the fifty they has already, already been 50, given out. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's a great point. Yeah, and I think Aaron Gordon kind of had that working against him in a way. And I mean, and so 
and I think it happened to him last dunk contest as well. So I think more than anything, I think the if this is going to become more serious and people are going to get more scrutiny over it, I think the NBA's got to try to figure out some sort of criteria system to make this work. Yeah, just have Simon Cowell be the judge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He'll exactly. give him proper or scores. I, yeah, we're like, I mean, a 360 addition to your dunk clearly means something versus just uh-huh. a simple 180 or like a between yeah. the legs means something. Or, I don't know. Yeah, to... or like if you do like a similar style like twice in a row, like it's just not worth as much, you know. Right, or you get extra points for the first try. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. First try definitely I think should play into it. Yeah, because or else I think things just kind of get bonkers because it seemed like the 50 was just not quite worth the same when we saw it given out in the second round versus when it was given out in the fourth round here. Right, yeah. I I, I get you on that. That makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, they they can definitely... I think the dunk contest is where they did the least amount of tinkering, honestly. They, They could definitely tinker a little bit with the format. Yeah, I agree. Um, another part of that all-star weekend is the three-point contest. Buddy Heel winning it over Devin Booker, making four out of the five on the final rack to win it. What did what were your thoughts on this dunk contest, Sean? Uh the three-point contest, I thought it was uh an interesting three-point contest at the end. Um I was pretty disappointed that Trey Young sucked so bad. Um yeah. he went first and I think he scored 13. It was ugly. Um, I did like that they changed the format to have that do zone ball. Uh, If you saw that, but they basically added a ball um, at both wings at 30 feet and told him to go for it. And Devin Booker was (laughs) pretty impressive at that one. And it was worth three points, I think, versus two for the money ball and one for the normal basket. But yeah, I think uh, Devin Booker I was really impressive, especially being a, like a late ad with Damian Lillard not being in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was uh, cool to see Devin Booker kind of earn his stripes there and almost get the win, but Buddy Heel on that last basket just clinched. I think that's what made it exciting was that it was so close, and then it literally came down to the last shot. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The do shots... Yeah, it made it fun, and I liked it. I mean, let's just change it up, and that's frankly what I felt about the skills challenge was when I saw it, I was like, I don't know if I really want to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be longer. Like, the, cor- yeah, the course it's just, needs to be longer. And we need to add some cooler stuff to it. Yeah. Like, there's got to be something more than just, like, trying to pass the ball into the basket thing. Right, which I guess like, was really tripping people up, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. This just changed something about it. But, I mean, Bam Adebayo ends up winning that skills challenge. Um, defending champs always, for some reason, lose in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Poor Jason Tatum. Yeah, and, I mean, Bam Adebayo makes that three-pointer. First three to make make the entire – first three he made the this entire year. Uh, Sabonis and him, big men just dominating the skills challenge at this point. I don't know. Outside of that – I thought it was good, but I, I no fault to the guys in it. I just want to see the skills challenge revamped a little bit. Yeah. I think you know this is now my, uh, my tenth year watching this, mm-hmm. and I'm ready to see something new. Yeah, they could definitely do way cooler skills stuff, like make way cooler obstacle courses. They get get mm-hmm. some design ideas from like the guys in American Ninja Warrior or something, you know, but like <laughs> basketball edition. 
because uh, like the pro ball for football, like they actually have some cool skills challenges for the different positions, you know, like they have mm-hmm. the receivers like doing some crazy routes and um, having to catch the ball um, at like five different stations in different ways. Like it's pretty cool. Um, this one is, it's yeah, it's just kind of meh um, the way it's set up and it, it is too short. I think it it's only like 15 seconds long at the most. Um, right it yeah. feels like such an elementary obstacle course it really does like dribbling through cones yeah target pass but that layup. that's the funny thing though is that like you're still <laughs> seeing these guys messing up like especially the guards <laughs> couldn't pass the ball through that stupid target like the big men always got in the first try it seemed like it took the guards more than once and that's the reason that they didn't even have a chance in this competition uh, but the big guys were actually the better passers, so I don't know. Like yeah. guys like Bam, Sabonis, these guys get a pretty healthy amount of assists a game. I think more so than even like Jason Tatum or uh, Pat Beverly are getting right now. So I don't know. The big the big man passers are are what's dominating uh, that aspect of the league right now as far as ha- passing ability. Yeah, I you know what I would like to see? It's some sort of like vertical leap challenge or something, or like a speed challenge. I, I don't know. Something. Something different. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think they, they could definitely do something more fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all in yeah, all, and- it was it was a pretty awesome all-star weekend though, huh? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I loved the the Kobe tributes. I love the the I mean they just did so much in terms of like wrapping the city of Chicago into the game. Mm, yeah. Bringing out this Kanye, Obama, Common, uh, Chance the Rapper, um, you know, all these figures, all these names, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pepin, obviously as a judge mm-hmm. there. Um, I thought that was so cool. And it almost makes me wonder, like, what the heck is the NBA going to do to either continue this or top it when the if the next all-star i don't know where the next all-star game is going to be hosted but i'm just saying this and no offense to salt lake city but (laughs) one when it goes to salt lake city like you know what are we gonna do what's the nba gonna do yeah you know or like when it goes to uh, like john stockton and carl malone (laughs) yeah or like phoenix or it just seems like the all-star game is at its best when it's at a big city like Chicago or New York or in mm. LA. Um, I don't know. And even when it was in Vegas, it seemed like a lot was going on. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I feel yeah. like that's, those are just the spots. Then maybe that's the thing. Maybe they're only going to have it in the big metropolitan cities now. Yeah. I thought, I just thought that was so cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, wrapping all that history and culture from the city of Chicago, yeah. Commons intro and all that. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna, I'm just like, there's no way you can do something like that. Yeah. And I'm sure when that- it's in like salt, Salt Lake City or, you know, one of these smaller towns, cities. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of the fans were are from Chicago. I'm sure there's a couple people that flew out from across the nation, but most people are probably from Chicago, and that was probably super, like, impactful and, like, meaningful and really cool for them that, mm-hmm. like, they were honored in such a way that, like, there was so much Chicago pride going around all over the place. Yeah, and I, I thought that was all really cool and i was a little surprised no appearance from michael jordan yeah just there. just in that uh video that they did yeah, one of the videos exactly. they did. yeah 
What an interesting man. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on. Moving on from All-Star Weekend and let's start looking ahead at what's coming this NBA year. And of course, the first news that hits us is Reggie Jackson agreeing to a buyout with the Detroit Pistons and planning to sign with the LA Clippers. Let's Reggie go. Jackson, a pretty decent point guard, but he's joining an already crowded backcourt. And I'm not sure what the impact here is going to be for Reggie Jackson on the actual Clippers. I think to me, and from my perspective, the biggest win for the Clippers is the fact that he doesn't go to the Lakers. <laughs> that is the biggest. Like, Reggie Jackson could go average one point a game for this team, but just the <laughs> fact that he's not on the Lakers, yeah. dropping six, six a game and five assists or whatnot is big for the Clippers and the entire Western mm-hmm. Conference. Oh, yeah. And I think this this really filled one of the holes What we had was that once Pat Beverly gets hurt, and I've, I've talked about this before, once Pat Beverly gets hurt, we don't really have a true point guard to replace him. We traded mm-hmm. away Shea last year. Lou Williams is not really a true point guard. He plays better as a shooting guard, but he gets that role once Pat Beverly's hurt. Uh, we needed someone else to take that load, and Pat Beverly has been on the men quite a bit this year. So Reggie Jackson actually does play a pivotal role for us, I think, going into this final stretch of the regular season with Beverly coming off an injury still. I think it's just going to give us a little bit of extra depth there at that position to save Lou Williams some minutes um, in, in these games before the playoffs start because we didn't really have a lot of help there. We weren't really as deep as I think you might think we are. Um, at that position because we also got rid of Jerome Robinson in that trade to get Marcus Morris so we did need someone at the guard position to fill in uh, when needed and Reggie Jackson that's that's a good about as a piece as you can fill in with at this point and yeah huge that they the, the Lakers didn't get him. they could have used him a lot more than us I think yeah it's funny yeah because the exact weak point weak point you just mentioned is the Lakers' weak, by far weakest <laughs> point in their roster. Right. And I would make arguably even weaker than the Clippers. Like, they needed a guy like that more than the Clippers did, I would say. Because there is no <laughs> Lou Williams yeah. on the Lakers bench. <laughs> there is no one even close to that. There is no Pat Be- There's nobody close to Patrick Beverly level. Like, it's it's KCP, it's Avery Bradley, Rondo. and Rajon Rondo. And Rondo. KCP and Avery Bradley, good players. They're no point guards. No. Rondo is a point guard, but he's pretty much done. Alex Caruso, he tries, but Reggie Jackson would have been huge. Would have been huge for the <laughs> Lakers. And, I mean, arguably up to this point, I think he's the best buyout player we've seen um, this year so far. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to get any better than a Reggie Jackson. And so the fact that he goes to the Clippers, someone who's already, a team that's already deep, it's – uh. It's got to really hurt hurt the Lakers front office right now. It's definitely making me a little shocked <laughs> that, and I mean the Lakers just got to go all in and get that number one seed because this Clipper team is going to be tough, tough, tough. Because I mean there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with Reggie Jackson. I think he's a little rusty. Took most of the year off because of that hurt back, but right. I still think he's still a, a sixteen a night type guy who who can shoot decently from three and decently from the field. Um, he never quite got to the all-star status and he does get hurt here and now, but he's still going to be a, a very valuable spark plug for the, for the Clippers off the bench. Right. And it's going to be a lot easier to keep him healthy if he's not playing as many minutes, which I doubt he'll be able to play that many minutes for us. Maybe 15 to 20, if I had to guess, mm-hmm. um, unless Pat Beverly's hurt, obviously, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So like, what does this say about like the changing of the guard in LA that like all of these players 
would rather play for the Clippers or maybe rather play with Kawhi than LeBron. You know, like what does it speak more to? I don't know. And that's an interesting question. And I'm sure the Lakers front office is trying to also figure that out. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough right here. Losing out to to the Clippers, Reggie Jackson, a guy who notoriously left the OKC Thunder because he didn't want to play under the shadow of Westbrook mm-hmm. and a Duran, a guy who really did care about his numbers, um, his role on a team. I mean, in terms of like how big of a role it was going to be. So for a guy who historically has cared a lot about that, all of a sudden signs up for a squad that's already pretty deep at the guard position when he could have gone to the Lakers and probably gotten that, had a good chance at getting that starting point guard oh, role yeah. over there. <laughs> so it's it does seem really weird. I'm not sure what the details are behind it, but... It does. I think it does hurt, and it should be a. It should be a, a strong um, punch in the gut to the Lakers front office, Rob Palenka, and the folks there. Do you think that the uh, Lakers, um, any chance the Lakers, thought about the move they made uh, with Detroit to get a certain other Reggie last year that didn't work out so well, <laughs> and yeah. had second thoughts about even trying to get this Reggie? <laughs> Oh man, it could be. It could be. I I just don't really know what's played out in those finer details. But it seems like the the frustrating part is that these quality role guys that we had that could have been decent trade baits this year, you know, are not on the roster. And instead, it'd be like we'd have to we had to juggle and debate whether to trade Kuzma when we could have easily have had Zubak yep. and see Makailu on the roster <laughs> still and use them as trade bait for some of these smaller moves like a Reggie Jackson or a Marcus Morris. Um, and essentially we gave those guys away for nothing last year. So <laughs> it, that, that is the more, the most frustrating piece. And mm-hmm. that again goes to show you how valuable those, those early second rounders or late first round picks can become in a later on for you, for your roster as in terms of just cheap, 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 players to bring off the bench for you yeah. or to include in trade deals yeah just bodies you know <laughs> right exactly <laughs> like to round bodies. out the roster yeah exactly so yeah, i don't know what the lakers are gonna do now that uh reggie jackson's off the market darren collison doesn't look like he's gonna come out of retirement who's left yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and i'm not sure that derrick rose buyout from the pistons is yeah. is gonna happen yeah, not, yeah they need could... ape some point guard on their team right Right, I guess you can still cling on to that, but it looks like for 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 now, it looks like the Lakers might just be done in terms of filling that point guard position hmm. from the buyout, at least from a buyout market. Well, they'll always have Caruso. Yeah, we just got to help Caruso uh, really rounds it up, and that Kyle Kuzma is just ready for a huge playoff yeah. run somehow. So why did Detroit it's, it's buy tough. out Reggie Jackson? Like, do they care about him that much that they're like, we want you to play for a contender for a year? And we're just trying to tank, so here's your money. See ya. Like they, I think it could. <laughs> I think it to me, it looks like Detroit is just ready to go all in on, on tanking and just getting this re- rebuild started for their team. Because right now, without Reggie Jackson, without Andre Drummond, with a hurt Blake Griffin, and a semi-injured Derrick Rose, this is to me the worst team in the league <laughs> roster-wise. Looking at the names, this on this is team. worse than the Knicks. Oh, this is by far worse than the worse Knicks. The, the Knicks Warriors? at least have Randall. It's uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of debatable. At least the Warriors have Draymond Green. Yeah, somewhat decent. And Wiggins. 
Yeah, this yeah, roster this has might nobody. be the worst team in the league right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean they have personal. No, I mean Randall yeah. is somehow d- re- decent. They have RJ Barrett on that Knicks roster. There's yeah. nothing on this Detroit yeah, Pistons roster right now. There's no other team that has, yeah, that has that little potential in their current player base. Wow, this is an awful. They might roster. they might not break a hundred points the rest of the year. They might not. No, it's <laughs> gonna be up to Luke Kennard. Um, Derek Rose when he's healthy. Derek Rose when he's healthy. Christopher Wood is that his name? Oh, Christopher Christian John w- Christian Wood. Christian Christian Wood. <laughs> um, Thon Maker. Thon Maker. John Henson. Brandon I mean, these were Knight. If he plays. The, right, Brad. These guys were all towards the very bottom. Um, borderline, you know, not gonna dress out type of dudes of yeah. at the end of the bench. Oh my gosh! You know? And now they're thrust and into I, starting roles. Exactly, and I mean, who's the point guard there now? Is it's well, gonna Derek have to Rose. be Bruce? Well, if it's not Derek Rose, it's I forgot this dude's name. Oh, Brown Bruce, or Bruce something. Brown? Bruce Brown, I think yeah. is his name. Anyways, the point is, it's 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 rough. It's, it's a rough, rough outing for Pistons and. Getting the number one pick this year isn't going to solve anything. I think they're in for for an awful number of years, and yeah. that Blake Griffin contract is going to go. It's going to be right there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to really stunt their growth for another three years. I think the three yeah. years, maybe maybe two if they're lucky. If they can find a trade partner towards the end of his contract. Exactly. And um, talking on buyouts here, we got Jeff Green signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. And we also have Demar Demari Carroll buying, getting a buyout from the San Antonio Spurs, and expected to sign with the Houston Rockets. Out of these two, who, what, whose buyout or whose signing is more significant to, in your in your perspective from between Jeff Green and Demari Carroll? <laughs> it's really hard to say. I because I want to say Demari Carroll because Houston just needs warm bodies, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that, like they're actually willing to play. And I feel like Demari Carroll is actually someone that they should be willing to play because he kind of plays a similar role to what PJ Tucker does for them currently. So maybe mm-hmm. they could save a few minutes on PJ Tucker every night with Damari Carroll. I think that that could be really important for them to uh, maintain PJ Tucker's longevity. Um, but I don't know what Houston does. You know, I cannot predict what they're <laughs> thinking. They might not use him unless someone gets injured. Like I, yeah. I really don't know if they're going to use him or not in the actual rotation. I, I don't think they will. I, don't, I think they want to just roll with the guys that they have. That the eight dudes that they're willing to actually play significant minutes, and other people just sit on the end of the bench until someone gets hurt. Yeah, nobody is taking Daniel House Jr. out of his rotation. <laughs> ben Mclemore. Austin, Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers. See, Austin Rivers. These oh. names. Yeah, there's no way the Rockets can win a championship if Austin Rivers is one of their pivotal players. It seems like the Houston Rockets could either stun people or they could just get swept in the first round. I I have never really seen a team like this in a while. Um, so that can looks like they can go into two extreme um, directions here <laughs> and I don't know to me I'm just gonna say Jeff Green going to the Milwaukee Bucks you know what this team is actually pretty damn close to potentially ending this season close to 70 wins this year mm. low-key yeah and if Jeff Green is the reason for that I mean part of it's just because the Milwaukee Bucks play have such a 
easy schedule in the Eastern Conference. So mm. if Jeff Green is that, then that might be the bigger story here. Yeah. So you think he actually plays? I think he, I think so. I think he might be able to find himself carving some time. Okay. I mean, they already have a pretty deep roster as is. Like, I'm, like off the bench, they have uh, Ilasova, um, Connaughton, a uh, couple others. But I don't know. I th- they have a pretty good recipe going right now. So I don't know. When you put in a new ingredient, uh, how much are they willing to use it? You know what, Jeff Green is the extra sugar on an already on an already good cake. It's too he's sweet. The, it's too sweet. He's the chocolate. He is the chocolate uh, frosting that you're still missing <laughs> on an already good piece of bread. You know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But don't be surprised if Jeff Green uh, get carries this team to their 69th, maybe 70th win. For the Milwaukee Man, Bucks. I thought Jeff Green was actually going to do something significant in Utah. Like, they got him on a minimum deal. I was like, that's a great deal. Jeff Green's a solid player. And they just don't mm-hmm. even play him at all. Even with Mike Conley getting hurt and struggling. Like, they just, like, rolling with Ingles the whole time. He, he never, never really carved out a role there. I, I think it was going to be hard for him to carve out a role with Milwaukee, too. That's Because, like, they're, they're probably in a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of mentality there's nothing he can fix he's just there i think in case someone gets hurt yeah well that might be the critical role that he needs to play uh, <laughs> but we'll see how about the Cavs coach john john bellinen bellinen sure <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he's matter out. anymore jv <laughs> bickerstaff takes over as interim head coach I mean, wow, what a journey this guy has had as the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Task, task with the mighty task of carrying this weirdly constructed <laughs> um, Cavalier roster, the leftover pieces of the LeBron James years, uh, and trying to get this team to become competitive. However, he's out, can't take it anymore. He's he's done after leading the Cavaliers to 14 wins, the worst <laughs> record in the Eastern Conference, second worst team in the NBA. He's giving back the years on his contract. Wow. He did sign a four-year deal for $4 million per year, and he just lets all that go in order to leave this Cleveland Cavalier team. He's a third coach in the last 30 years uh, to not make it through one complete <laughs> season as a rookie head coach. <laughs> Tough journey. I mean, it all started when he started naming plays after animals, <laughs> uh, seeing Kevin Love throw his tantrums, uh, not figuring out how to play his two um, score first mentality uh, young guards and Colin Sexton, um, calling his team thugs in the middle of a video session. <laughs> and according to The Athletic, Andre Drummond told some of his teammates that the situation in Cleveland was worse than the situation he just he had just come out of in Detroit. Oh, no. Oh, wow. And we just it talked about like, how bad that was. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what... Is there any is there anything that can save this Cleveland Cavalier team? Can Jamie Bickerstaff figure something out, or or are the Cleveland Cavaliers, Detroit Pistons, and are they and maybe the New York Knicks, are they all just headed together for a sequence of years, maybe a decade, until they can figure something decent out for their basketball team? Well, maybe the Knicks and the Pistons, but uh, let's give the Cavs a little bit of hope here. So, 
<laughs> JB Bickerstaff, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one that took over in Memphis after they let go of Fizdale, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and he actually did a pretty good job while he was there. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is able to revitalize his career there. Um, they're able to build up some G League guys um, for half the season who actually played decently given the fact that they were not even supposed to be NBA players, probably. Guys like Kobe Simmons. <laughs> um, Dylan Brooks. Yes, Dylan Brooks. Look at Dylan Brooks now. Dylan Brooks has got a yeah. three-year extension. He's playing amazing. So I like J.B. Bickerstaff um, as the interim. I don't think that he'll obviously get the head coaching job for next year. Um, on a note on, on Baleen here, I, I do think it's interesting that he is willing to just part ways with this guaranteed deal that he got. Um, I did hear that he's going to get a some sort of position elsewhere in the franchise's organization, some mm-hmm. maybe um, helping the offense or something, um, because he made it such a fuss last year after they ousted their previous head coach that he wanted to get a guaranteed deal, and now he's backing out of that guaranteed deal himself. So that, that's just really weird to me too. Hmm. Um, but... Going back to the team, I think that this at least tells me that Cleveland wants to keep Drummond around. And because yeah. because Drummond said these things, and I'm sure it, as the best player on the team currently, they want to be um, basically doing whatever Drummond thinks is the best for the team. Like they want to build the team around him. or Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought him in for 20 games. It's not yeah. like they're trying to win more games. They're trying to win the lottery. So mm-hmm. they truly believe they have a chance at re-signing him when his contract's up at the end of the year. Uh, so I think this is a move that they really pressured uh, Baleen to get out of the job because the culture wasn't very good. And all this random crap about naming plays after animals, <laughs> calling players thugs, like this kept coming up. And it's like, you can't have this in a professional organization. So they had to get rid of him. And I mean, if they're able to sign Drummond, keep Kevin Love healthy, um, and then maybe uh, you get another year on Garland and Sexton of experience and maybe maybe it starts working out. Um, There is a sliver of hope there um, with those four guys that you could maybe build something decent, Um, especially because the Eastern Conference is very weak at that lower end. You could definitely Mm -hmm. jump... You can leapfrog a, a, a good amount of teams just winning like six extra games, you know? Yeah. So I do think there's a sliver of hope for this team next year. It just depends on what they do in the offseason. They're going to have to figure out a way to keep drumming around, and they're going to have to sign a good head coach if they're not going to make Bickerstaff uh, the official head coach. Yeah, it seems like Drummond is just right back into that same situation he was in. In Detroit, yeah, he's the star. He's the best player, <laughs> and his co-star is an aging power forward. Overpaid with injury concerns, <laughs> with injury concerns, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of his roster is just guys who have some glimmer of hope, but are either a too young, too very also very injury prone, and three might be overpaid. Yeah, and the franchise is leaning on, um. It's young prospects either really turning up and somehow getting really lucky in free agency. <laughs> yeah, the, the similarities are kind of crazy when you think of it that way. Yeah, I don't know if I'm drumming if I want to recite to the situation, but 
it just depends on what else is available to him uh, out there in the league. And uh, judging from what he got traded for, Not maybe much. Drummond just doesn't really quite, yeah, garner the interest that he feels he might deserve or it looks like he he should deserve in terms of money-wise and, and contract-wise, but he's probably just not up there. Yeah, I think just seeing the direction the league's going away from traditional centers, it takes a very certain play style. Like, I guess it's certain uh, play style by the team to make a traditional center work. Rudy Bo- Gobert works in Utah because that's mm-hmm. the type of style they play. There's not a lot of teams that do that anymore because a lot of them are right. shifting to a more modern, small ball, maybe not to the same extent of the Rockets, but still, like, you got to run both sides of the floor. You got to shoot threes. That's what you mm-hmm. got to do. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that's just the unfortunate situation that Drummond finds himself in. If he was playing in the early 2000s, he'd be, like, one of the most <laughs> coveted players in the league. Right. He'd be a rebounding machine. Wait, a he is a rebounding machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm trying to think off the top of my head. What would like Portland will have maybe the space? I don't think they want him. Do you already have Nurkic? Uh, right. Uh, it, it'll it'll be a tough one for our Drummond, mm-hmm. and we'll see where the Cavaliers can possibly go from here. Um, mm-hmm. The good news is they'll finally be out of that J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson contract, so at oh least gosh. the grasses will be greener in that perspective. <laughs> but uh, small victories. But then moving on to, from there, you know, from injuries is Kyrie Irving reaggravates that shoulder injury and out at least another week. It seems like Kyrie Irving just is not having the year for him this year, and the, New- and the Brooklyn Nets are forced to continue on this this chug of the season without him. At this point. I think he should just sit out the rest of the season, get healthy, come back next year as a championship contender with Kevin Durant. Yeah. There's no point. They're the seven seed. It they're gonna make the playoffs. They're not gonna uh they're not gonna get caught by Washington. Like, just let Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis Levert do their thing, get knocked down the first round by the Raptors and the Bucks, and just look forward to the next season. Yeah, and there's no I don't see any chance they upset either of those teams. Yeah. Also, it's, it would also help if uh, if a certain Scott Williams in our fantasy league didn't have Kyrie Irving on his team for the playoff yes, stretch. That would be huge, <laughs> and especially this next one here as well. Carl Anthony Towns might be out indefinitely as well. Mm. Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, not even making the all-star team this year. And, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought he was going for it. I thought it was going to be – you know, Joe Kick making a huge swing. Giannis would be up there. Harden, Davis, Towns. I thought these were going to be some of the big players. Towns, I don't think even cracks the top 20 or in terms of Oof. best players in the league this I mean, year. Man, when Maybe the season 15, started. I guess you still have to put him in there. Yeah, when the season started, I, I did think he was going to have a chance of doing that. Like, he looked as good as he ever has. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know anymore. It's It's hard to say. But and it's hard to say how long he's been playing with this injury or if it's been affecting his game. But yeah, it's interesting that it comes out now, um, after the All Star break, after he's had a week to rest it, and now they're like, okay, he's not going to play anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it is just a tanking strategy right here. Yeah, and I mean with the Angela Russell now on the roster, I think 
it's probably tough to really focus on this year, considering as mathematically you're just so deep in a hole at this point. There's no way you're getting out of it. Yeah. So I might as well just start looking for the gr- for the greener grasses of next year. Yeah, which uh, uh, hopefully Carl Anthony Towns is down with. I mean, it would be nice if him and D'Angelo developed a little more chemistry uh, before next season, but I don't know. Maybe they maybe they're already such good friends anyway. They don't need it. <laughs> yeah. How about Clint Capella not making his Hawks debut for another two more weeks with that plantar fasciitis heel slash heel injury he's got? And this is a tough blow for my fantasy team here. <laughs> I need Clint Capella back. And, but it almost seems like there is no urgency here as the Hawks are also kind of looking at themselves as their season is basically done at this point. There's no playoff hope for this squad. Uh, but I Man, I just I, I I was excited to see Clint Capella get get on the floor and see what he could do with Trey Young yeah. and Collins. And we'll we'll see it I think before the end of the year, but yeah, it might just be like mid March. It's looking like because we're already talking about another two weeks, early March, and then maybe they ease him back into action. Um, so we'll get to see a little bit, but yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, the Hawks are just they've been bottom feeders the entire year. Um, John Collins getting that 25 game suspension certainly didn't help things at the beginning and that kind of just set the tone for what their season was going to be like the rest of the year um, so yeah. uh, Clint, Clint Capella I think yeah, they just want to get him healthy because he's on a multi-year deal still with them so another another one where they're just going to tank and uh, get this guy healthy for next season yeah Steph Curry still plans on coming back early March <laughs> I don't uh, know what he's I don't know why let yeah. Stay home, man. Stay sell, home. Sell some Stay tickets. on vacation. <laughs> sell some tickets. That's the only reason yeah. I can think yeah. of. Like, there's no reason. Like, it's not like, yeah. There, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why. The, why he would? Just because he yeah, wants to ex- play. I don't think it's worth reaggravating your injury if that's a possibility. Yeah. Just stay home, Curry. Wiggins got has this. Wiggins take care of the chase <laughs> But uh, as we head down to the final stretch of the year, we got a couple teams still swinging for the final playoff spot. One of them notably is the Grizzlies, Portland Trailblazers, and the New Orleans Pelicans. With the Grizzlies looking to have a four-game lead right now, but the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. Blazers with the sixth easiest remaining schedule. And Nurkic uh, can potentially coming back before the end of the year and also the New Orleans Pelicans were five and a half games back with easy with the easiest schedule remaining and having a crucial couple games left against the, the Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers Sean as we see this these three teams racing each other who do we see here actually having the notable chance to secure that eighth place seed Oh man, it's so hard because I really, I really don't, I can't imagine the Grizzlies making the playoffs still. <laughs> I just can't do it. I know that they're four games ahead, which is real, that's a that's, decent that's really far ahead. I yeah. just, oh man, the the thing, the X factor is gonna be can Lillard come back sooner rather than later. He's still hurt, mm-hmm. which I thought he might have a chance at coming back after the All Star break. But he's still day-to-day with that ankle sprain. Um, he's going to practice this week, but he hasn't been part- participating fully, and they say he's just not ready to play yet. So he might miss a couple games, and that's a couple losses that you just can't afford at this point in the season. 
Um, but I do. I don't think the Grizzlies are going to end the season with a winning record. I still don't think that. I don't, <laughs> especially because they have the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. I think that's going to really mm-hmm. play against them. They don't have Jay Crowder anymore. I think they're really going to feel that lack of depth there. Um, but the the real question is, are they going to lose enough to let the Blazers in? Um, right. I don't. I just don't know. The Blazers have been. It seems like they've been fighting so hard, but they still just can't get those wins that should come so easily to them under any normal circumstances. Yeah, I think it's tough to say depending on how many games Leonard takes off, who they play against, and I mean those critical games where they're playing against the Pelicans, against the Grizzlies. Those are just going to be must wins mm-hmm. on both sides, and those games are going to be uh, big changers. I honestly am going to still stick to my word that I gave a couple weeks ago, and I still see this Grizzlies team coming out with that eight seed. And the Pelicans are on fire, creeping up from behind, (laughs) and they're healthy. But I think the the hole is just too big for them to dig themselves out of. It's just too late for them. It's like the easiest schedule remaining is nice. But five and a half games back, and you're still a pretty inexperienced team overall. I just I don't think that they can pull it off. Although they'll be very entertaining to watch. Hmm. I I agree. And it, it, oh, those games against Memphis, <laughs> like maybe those are enough. And they beat Portland, they beat Memphis, and they Man. can somehow get a couple more wins to get more momentum behind them. But even then, it just seems so oh, unlikely. Yeah. They're gonna need. They're gonna need a a big winning streak to do that. Like at least a five or six game winning streak to like put themselves really back in the conversation. I'm still putting my money on the blazers. I can't, I can't bet against Dame, man. I I think he'll, he'll might he'll miss the rest of this week. Um, the the two games they have this week, but I think he'll come back next week swinging. Yeah. So I just looked at this. So they got two games against the Pelicans and Memphis does, and they have one game left against Portland at, mm. at, in Portland. Ooh. So that'll be huge. Huge. But I mean, other than that, I mean, we're looking at the schedule and they're playing Toronto twice. They still got a big Eastern conference road trip ahead of them. That would be taking them to Milwaukee, Toronto, oh. um, Boston. Oh, they got LA Lakers. They got Lakers twice and they got the Clippers as well. It, it's gonna be a rough I, one for I think Memphis. It's gonna a lot be of rough, traveling, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm but I'm still gonna lean in and put my bet on John Moran. This team is healthy, and I think they got momentum. So we'll see how it goes. They're they're healthier, so I think that's gonna be my big yeah. takeaway from there. Yeah. If what if Nurkic comes back next week? Does that change your decision at all? That's huge. That'll be huge. I mean, if Leonard and Nurkic come back next week. That might change my opinion. Mm. That'll be one to yeah. follow then. Yeah, exactly. We'll, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And then on the Western Conference from the top, looking at the Lakers likely getting that number one seed with a decent lead. Nuggets, Clippers, and Jazz all within two games of each other. And the Rockets right there as well going to a whole new strategy for a while <laughs> there. It looked like there might end up being a six seed team. But completely changing their roster, it looks like they're ready to make another run for home court advantage in the first round. Um, I think more than anything, like I mentioned before, for the Lakers, I think I'm going, if I'm them, I'm going all in on capturing that number one seed mm-hmm. and avoiding the Clippers as much as possible here. Yeah, I think having the one or the two seed to a lesser extent is going to be very important 
for any of these teams at the top because I mean obviously for the Lakers to have to play a pretty weak Blazers or a very inexperienced Grizzlies team is just going to be an easy first round. So yeah. for them getting the one seed is huge. Now the second seed, that's likely going to be OKC, although they're going to make a push for this sixth seed. But with Doncic back healthy, I don't think that they're going to maintain the tie that they have with them right now for the sixth seed. I think OKC is going to end up being that seventh seed. I think that matchup is still, while it's a little more challenging, I think you'd rather see them than any of the other teams um, in the bottom of, yeah. of the conference. So getting that two seed is going to be pretty crucial I feel like the Nuggets are going to get it. I don't think the Clippers care enough about who they play. I think they just care about getting their healthy. So, And Paul yeah. George is still hurt too. So I don't think the Clippers are going to end up getting it. And I don't think the Jazz are going to quite measure up to the Nuggets um, in this final stretch. I think the Nuggets are just a little stronger overall. So I think they're going to hold on to that two seed. Um, that's going to be big for them because that's that's a much easier matchup that you have to deal with um, in the first round. And then the Clippers and the Jazz are going to have to play the Mavericks and um, the Rockets most likely. That's going to be rough. Yeah, but I'm, if I'm the Lakers, I'm looking more from a se- to the second round. I would way rather play the Rockets or Utah in the second round than the Clippers. Right, yeah, because you want yeah. to save the Clippers till the end. So the Clippers getting yeah. the two or three seed... Like, that's pretty important if you're a Lakers, and that's likely what they will get. But there's mm-hmm. a chance that they fall to the four seed. I mean, Utah is right there, only half a game behind the Clippers right now. Um, Kawhi Leonard misses a few more games for back-to-backs. Paul George sits out with that hamstring. Like, we could easily find ourselves just being the four seed um, if, if Denver and Utah keep winning regular season games. So, um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they all line up because um, – yeah, if we, I, I mean, I would love to see Lakers Clippers in the in the conference finals. I think that is the yeah, most fitting place to see it. Like a second round matchup, it just doesn't do it. It just doesn't do it justice, you know. Yeah, I agree. I'd rather see it because I mean, I think I think it's a no brainer at this point that those these are the best two teams in the Western Conference. Yeah. So let's save it for the Western Conference Finals. However, if you are the Lakers, I think you do in the back of your mind hope. That in the second round somehow Denver pulls off the win and then you play Denver. In the right. Western oh yeah, and the Clippers. Finals. The Clippers are the same way. You know, like yeah, yeah we don't want to play the Lakers. Yeah, like maybe hopefully you. But though I doubt it. I think it's more likely that the Clippers get the tougher matchup in the second round against Nuggets than the Lakers do against Utah or the Rockets. Mm-hmm. Although the Rockets, but, the Rockets did take it to them. Um, in that first nah, game where they had the small I'm ball I'm not going to buy it. I'm not buying that. I'm in not Staples buying Center. that. In Staples Center. Yeah, I'm not buying that. But <laughs> let, let's, so looking at the Eastern Conference, though, it's it's kind of like, does it even really matter? <laughs> <laughs> well, so for the Philadelphia 76ers, I think it matters a lot. Because if we look right. at their home, home and away difference, it's astronomical. So they mm-hmm. need home court advantage as much as they can. So they got to win a lot, but that's not really like a story I'm watching, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think for me on the Eastern conference side, Philadelphia, they've had their time. So maybe they can now figure it out and get themselves into home court advantage. But man, Raptors bucks have built a decent lead over the rest of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, notably the bucks who I said this earlier, but I think it actually might be, be something that could happen is the Bucks could become the third team to win 70 games 
in the NBA or at least become one of the few to have win to win 68 or 69 games in the NBA. They currently have to only go 24 and 4. They have the 26 easiest schedule with three games left against the Raptors, two against the Celtics Heat, and one road game against some of the notable Western Conference teams in the Lakers, Nuggets, and Mavericks. So they've got some small room for error, but they could actually end up coming out of this year with a ton of wins. And I think it's, it'll say more about the Eastern Conference than the actual <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks team. And then it'll just go to show just how much significantly weaker the Eastern Conference is. And if you're a good team, you just steam, you can basically just steamroll across a bunch of games. Right. Even a team like the Toronto Raptors, you know, like they're steamrolling mm-hmm. over teams and they don't really have any superstars. Siakam's right. an all-star, but no superstars. And they're 40 and 15. Their record's better than anyone in the West except for the Lakers. Yeah, and that's a, another big point right there of why the 1 through 16 seeding, regardless of conference, just wouldn't make any sense unless somehow mm-hmm. you can figure out a way to calculate schedule difficulty. Because I, I still do, I mean, despite the Toronto Raptors having 40 wins and they're a good team, at this point, I still think the Denver 38 wins and the Clippers 37 wins are more are higher oh, of yeah. higher value than the 40 wins from Toronto Raptors. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And uh, even bring it down to like the Pacers 32 and 23, you know? Like yeah. I don't think that they would be like in as in the same conversation as like Dallas. Dallas's records much more impressive. At just only one game ahead of them. Right. Exactly. Um and then talking about the Pacers, Odalipo is back. But does he have enough time to get ready for the playoffs here, Sean, as we're looking towards the Ugh. second here after <laughs> post-All-Star um, games? Oh, it's a tough one, man. So the Pacers have only won two of their seven games since trying to work him back into the lineup. And he has shot very poorly from the field so far. 33% field goals in total and only 26% from three. And he's played over 20 minutes in about every game that he's played so far. And they've just struggled to integrate him into, I mean, I guess you can chalk it up to just, you know, they just need, they've been playing this way for all the season and now they need to adjust how they play completely um, to, so that he's the focal point of the offense, essentially. And that's really hard to do. Cause I don't think Odalipo mm-hmm. is that type of player. That's like commanding, you know, like he's not going to command right. the ball. He's not going to say like, run this play for me for sure. Like he's, he's a team player. Um, mm-hmm. but it's hard to integrate him uh, when he's going to have to end up playing 30-plus minutes a game, as he should, as an all-star, um, when the team's been playing so well without him, and now you have to figure out kind of a new style. Uh, when you bring in such a significant piece like this, it's going to take some time. Is there enough time before the playoffs? I'm not sure. Um, we're going to have to see over the next few weeks. I th- I think yeah. I think that he will get better. I don't think that he will be the Odalipo that we know and love um, this year. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think he's gonna have to accept that this Pacer team is the Sabonis show. This yeah. Pacer team is the Malcolm Malcolm Brogdon show. <laughs> and I think he's gonna he's going to have to adjust more than the team should adjust to him at this point. At mm. least until he. Um, gets back into the swing of things. And, I mean, at this point, what is it, a year and a half outside of basketball? Yeah, that, a little over a year, I think. Yeah, that's that's quite some time. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. But I think 
the the I think the takeaway here is Autolipo should adjust to the new identity of this team rather than the team adjust to the old right. identity <laughs> that they had when he was at his best. Yep. So just just try and focus on being a supremely better Jeremy Lamb. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think so. At least until he can get his legs back under him. Okay. And maybe it happens sooner than later. So we'll I hope see. so. I hope so, man. I, I want to see this guy have success again. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see the Pacers and Boston Celtics dish this off on a seven-game series. Uh, I think that yeah. would be awesome. No, that would be a great series. Because right now it looks like it's going to be Toronto and Boston steamrolling across the playoffs <laughs> and then getting their butts whooped by Milwaukee. <laughs> Giannis can only hope. I don't know. Yeah. Playoffs, Boston in the playoffs, very dangerous. Toronto, very dangerous. Uh, Jimmy Butler is going to bring the heat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pun not so, intended. Yeah, exactly. So this one's interesting. Well, Zion Steele, rookie of the year from Jaw, after only playing around 30 games, <laughs> I'd say no. However, <laughs> there is a small chance that it's a yes if the Pelicans can pull off the thing me and you have just been discussing is not possible for them, which is steal the eight seed. If he can literally steal that eight seed from Jaw and the Memphis Grizzlies, why not to give this man rookie of the year? Cause that yeah. would be an incredible comeback off the back of his, of his return. Is that fair to not even play half the season though? I mean, that's incredible. If he can take the Pelicans <laughs> were like the second worst team in the league. Yeah, at I, one know, point. I know. Takes them to the eight seed and at the same time takes out the, his, his, uh, the runner up. That's to rookie true. Of the year yeah. here. If they end up making the playoffs, it will definitely be an argument, but like, Jaw has been playing really well the whole year. Uh, 17.6 points per game so far, 3.5 rebounds, 7.1 assists. Those are amazing rookie numbers. He's just fit the NBA mold so well. Mm-hmm. Completely surpassed everyone's expectations for what he and this team were going to be able to do this year. He's far and above everyone for rookie of the year right now. There's some good rookies playing right now. Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Harrow mm-hmm. on the Miami heat. Um, you got a few others going around, but and then Zion's just coming in like a wrecking ball, literally. Um, yeah. But yeah. This th- it's going to be hard to pass jaw right now. Yeah. I think it's possible with Zion. And I think it just sucks for jaw that he just happens to be in the same rookie classes arguably the best rookie we've gotten since we've seen since LeBron. I don't know. LeBron, (laughs) (laughs) like even Ben Simmons. I mean, I mean, guess Ben Simmons played a second year, but what Zion's doing is just incredible. I mean, night in and night out. I mean, he hasn't done it to the, and the longevity that jaw has done it. But I think if to me, the, the deal breaker here is the Pelicans get to the eight seed. It's a, it's done. Like, I think he's got to get that rookie Mm. of the year. It's incredible. It'd be incredible. Yeah, it will be a very strong argument. But, yeah, we'll have to see how Jaw finishes the year out, too. I mean, hardest schedule in the league. How are you going to respond? That's true. That's true. I see you are sticking to your man here. Uh, who, with Jaw? Yeah. yeah, I'm going to stick with Jaw winning Rookie of the Year because I still think it's kind of ridiculous for some, uh, <laughs> someone to win it after playing 30 games because I do think that Portland's going to get the eighth seed, not the Pelicans. Yeah. Yeah, which means uh, yeah, that I, Zion wouldn't get it. 
Yeah, I mean, I still like, yeah, I mean, if I would break it down and say most likely it looks like Jaw, if there's that slither of chance, it's going to be this chance right here. Mm-hmm. They break into the playoffs. But <laughs> yeah, it makes gonna sense. Be some, anyway. Yeah, there's going to be some fun storylines to follow, though. I, I I agree, and I'm really interested. <laughs> this eight seed always becomes such a race in the Western <laughs> Conference. I love it. Yeah. So, final thoughts to close off the podcast. The All-Star Weekend is done. It was great. It was incredible. Everything about Chicago was celebrated and uh, wrapped into this uh, All-Star Weekend. The stars came out from Chicago. The legends, politicians, uh, musical artists, TV hosts, athletes. Except for one thing that was not celebrated about Chicago and that was the current state of the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> who right now sit at 19 and 36 and seem to only have one good thing going for them is Zach, and that's Zach Levine at 25 points a game, 48% shooting, career numbers all across the board, and snubbed from an all star spot, arguably. But he still made his appearances across the TV, uh, across uh, podcasts, and just making his presence known. Um, as he is the Chicago star, but unfortunately the only star he shined on was in the three-point contest. <laughs> um, we got a team that's facing injuries to Laurie Markkinen, Chris Dunn, Wendell Carter Jr., Oder Porter Jr. This team just seems like it's not going really anywhere at this point. So, Sean, do you feel bad for the current state of the Chicago Bulls, or is this just a, a state of mismanagement here for this team? I think injuries are just really tough to deal with. And it's hard for me to say if they weren't injured, like how good would they be? Would they be in contention for the eight seed? It's hard to say, but mm-hmm. I want to say yes, because it's so easy to get the eight seed in the East. It's like the Orlando magic. We have 21 wins right now, 24 wins right now, you know, like Chicago is only five games behind them playing terrible basketball. So do I think, if marketing came into the year healthy, Wendell Carter didn't get hurt. Like, would they win a couple more games? Totally. And then would they be in playoff contention? Totally. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like Zach Levine probably feels like he wants to give up on this team and play for a contender, or he wants to totally upend the whole system and kind of dictate how the franchise handles its uh, players from now on. But like, I want to still believe in Laurie Markkinen after that promising rookie year he had. I want to still mm-hmm. believe in Wendell Carter Jr., one of the best defenders in the league, I think, um, becoming that at least. And then not having Otto Porter for any, like the any of the year at all. You know, like these are all like very important pieces, and they just haven't had them. And Denzel Valentine even came back like just recently. So right, um, there. I don't know. There's promise. It's just hard to say what would happen if everyone was fully healthy. And I think that's what a lot comes down to with an NBA team is like if your guys aren't healthy, you're there. You're never gonna amount to what you could be. Right, and it's unfortunate for the city of Chicago and the fans there. But I really hope that the Chicago. T- Bulls team can figure itself out. I mean, heading into this year, this was one of the young teams I was excited about. And if I had to pick a controversial pick to make the playoffs, this was my pick. I was <laughs> yeah. like, the Chicago Bulls are gonna come out of nowhere and make the make the playoffs. Doesn't I mean it still looks like it's somehow likely, <laughs> but it's a sliver of chance. But um well, if it makes we'll you see feel, what happens. If it makes you feel any better, my pick was the Hawks, if you remember. <laughs> oh, yes. I, and there was a lot of people behind you on that, too. We were excited, uh, and then John Collins got uh, drug tested. Yeah. 
Exactly. But uh, either way, the Hawks are out. Chicago's most likely out. But Pelicans might be still in. Portland might still be in. Memphis might still hold on. All that and more. We'll keep up to date on that on the Second Stringers NBA podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And don't forget to tune in week in and week out uh, on our podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.